Welcome back to our series on Plato's Republic. In this episode, we will be finishing up book seven. And I want to begin by picking up where we left off last time with a discussion of the dark night of the soul as uh, the experience of education, right? So I think what St. John the Cross was um, articulating poetically is um, what what the soul goes through in uh, education. And on uh, page 215 of the Reeve translation of the Republic, uh, which is 521 uh, C to D, somewhere around there, uh, you have Socrates saying this. It seems then that this is not a matter of flipping a potsherd, but of turning a soul from a day that is a kind of night in comparison to the true day, that ascent to what is, which we say is true philosophy. Okay, so philosophy is about turning oneself um, from a night that appears to be a day to the one that, that's in it to what's what's true truly uh the light or what's the the true day uh and and so all philosophy i believe will have something of a i mean i don't want to say a theological um uh, nature to it but it but it has a um uh uh completion in um what what theology ultimately aims at right so philosophy is education, which is about conversion, turning towards um, uh, uh, what's what's true, turning towards what's real. So the philosophical project, the philosophical life, is a life of conversion, uh, and and therefore it's it's essentially opened uh, to um, the, um, the the theological or the religious. So so I think. It's it, it it's almost a contradiction to talk about an atheistic philosophy, um, because um, it seems that there's there's a um, essential um, uh, uh, tra- transcendent or transcending um, aspect to uh, the philosophical life, um, even if you don't know what that towards which you are um, turning. Uh, ultimately is because it, it's going back to what we described last time it's the sun and it blinds and so you're you you sort of remain ignorant of it in and of itself um, it's still um, the case that that's consistent with the great the great um, theological tradition of Christianity with the whole apophatic um, you know root of, of mystical theology where uh, there's a um, a cloud of unknowing uh, surrounding um, the nature of God, and so um, the most that we can say about God is uh, that we can't say anything about God as He is, uh, right? So, so I think this is this is something um, which is very profound. It's something that's important to to always remember as, as you study um, uh, philosophy, as you as you read philosophy, as you as you pursue. Um, what it really means to philosophize, um, that it's, it's, um, it, it has a, um, a fulfillment in something, uh, beyond it, uh, beyond itself. Um, okay. So, uh, 
and I wanted to, I was trying to figure out where, when to, when to talk about this, but I, I think this would be a good time to talk about it. So once we have the cave allegory on the table, uh, we can understand uh, what liberal education is or liberal arts. Um, if you think of it as the, um, the freeing arts, the, the, the education as, as liberating, um, meaning it, it frees you, frees you from, from what? From, in some ways, your, yourself, your, the, the, the ways in which you have enslaved yourself, your own biases, your own um, uh, uh, presumptions about how reality must be known or must be, must be seen. And so education is um, essentially, uh, uh, necessarily um, liberating. And so it's almost um, a redundancy to talk about liberal education uh, because by its very nature, education is liberating, right? And, and I think the, the allegory of the cave gives you a beautiful image of, of that. Um, and one further point of reflection I, I think is worth um, bringing up here uh, the um, experience of education that you've had and are having, uh, namely those experiences where you come to see that the world reality is um, far more uh, um, um, interesting, far more uh, surprising than you ever would have thought uh, and, 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 and in such a way that you, you think you understand, you know, the, the, the point of living, you think you understand, uh, truth. And then you come to this, this thing, this thing that happens in your life, this event or whatever it is. And it forces you to make, um, a, a, a decision or it forces you into a type of, um, um, act of the will. Are you going to turn back? Uh, and and continue to live in the world that you are comfortable with, or are you going to let that that former world go and proceed in a way that um, doesn't make sense to you initially? Because of the very fact, uh, what education is, as we as we saw, is it's about letting the old world go for the sake of of a, of a new world, the old vision for a new vision, uh, and. It's not complete um, skepticism or, or incoherency, uh, but it is a type of um, um, uh, ignorance in, in, a, in, a, in, a real, in a real way, right? Um, and so you can describe education as an experience of death, uh, meaning you, you um, undergo a type of, of death. The, the world that you live in when you, when you are educated is a world that, that dies and it gives rise to a new, fuller, more complete uh, world. And this is, I mean, this is articulated more so in, in theological uh, text. I mean, if you think about St. Paul, the scales falling from his eyes and putting on a new man and you have, you have all this description of... Um, a new 
a new world that you that you live in now that you've made this conversion you see things uh as they really are um this is uh a type of a type of death right it's it's a um a participation in an experience of what it means to die and i think this is a very important experience for plato because what it does is it gives us um while literally or physically living it gives us an experience of the meaning of death and and ultimately the hope of life in death or through death right so just as in education um you have to let something go something has to be renounced something has to um fall out of your 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 grasp uh but all your experiences of education have been such that every time you let something go something more complete more brilliant more you know bright um follows uh maybe not initially but this is the point of education that you you let lower things go for higher things and the more that you're um familiar with with that the the more uh confirmed or the more um uh, uh, uh i'll just say confirmed you are in in the hope of uh life through all death um because death uh for for plato seems to be this moving from a lower to a higher and so i th- i think the um the significance or the emphasis on education is ultimately what constitutes the grounds for hope in if you want to call it an afterlife you can call it an afterlife um but hope in a life through death just as in education there's a hope for truth through your ignorance by being proven ignorant which is like a type of death you're closer to the truth uh by dying you're closer to life i think what he's trying to do um this is more so in the phaedo but he's trying to to show that education provides the 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 background experience that generates hope um uh and in the face of death so very very significant to reflect on the meaning uh, of education it's not merely as we saw last time just about um putting truth nuggets into your brain uh if that's all it was uh it would it would be ultimately a meaningless endeavor it would just be about like uh an easter egg hunt um and it and it wouldn't it wouldn't really matter in the grand scheme of things okay so uh the um life of education is a, is a liberating life because it frees you from what enslaves you which is ultimately your your ignorance ignorance of of what ignorance of the good uh in the allegory of the cave it's ignorance of the sun that which gives true sight true true vision to all things um in 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 um in the context outside of the allegory namely in what the allegory is of our, our very lives what we're ignorant of is ultimately the purpose the reason the logos of existence what are we what are we seeking when we seek anything we're seeking fulfillment we're seeking happiness 
which is ultimately the good. Whatever it is, whatever that may be, that's going to ultimately fulfill us beyond anything we could ever possibly even hope for or desire. That is what we're seeking. Uh, you could call it the reason of things, the purpose of things, or uh, in Greek, the logos. Uh, and it is, it is our um, ignorance of that which is what enslaves us. And so what we need to do, according to Plato, um, through education, is we need to orient ourselves to the logos, to the good, so that we don't um, constitute our own stumbling block um, in, our, in our pursuit of it, right? There will be things that, that um, cause us to have a difficult time understanding the logos or understanding the good or attaining the good. Um, but the thing that we have control over to some extent is whether or not we ourselves uh, prevent uh, a vision or, or union with, with the good. And how does this happen? Um, uh, ultimately, it's, it's through an over-attachment to things that are not um, the good itself, right? So you have to love things for what they are. Uh, so ultimately, you know, the, the physical world, the world of, um, of, of, uh, of, of the, um, the physical nature, the, the, the world that we occupy, um, is something which is good, but only uh, through its being an image or a sign of something else. The shadows are good in the cave. They're good, but only as shadows, which is to say they're good only as redirecting us to something more. Um, there is a purpose in having friends. There is a purpose in uh, drinking bourbon, but that, that, that fundamental purpose isn't, doesn't, doesn't end in itself. It actually redirects us or ought to redirect us to um, higher goods, better goods. Um, okay, and so what we need is we need to see reality um, as what, what um, Socrates calls uh, summoners. Now, it's a strange word. Uh, I didn't look up what the Greek word was, but my guess is it's something um, something that's like a conjured uh, uh, word because it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a strange word, uh, but it's very um, important, beautiful concept. The idea of a summoner is something that is seen or sensed that um, unsettles us or puzzles us, um, leaves us um, desiring something more. Uh, here's here's um, here's an example, I guess you could say. When you when you look at um, when you're driving down the highway, this is this just an example came to me. I'm looking out my window and I see uh, a, a road that's going long, long, long distance. Uh, it reminded me of this phenomenon. When you're driving down a highway, say somewhere in in uh, the Midwest, and it's a really hot summer July day, um, you you look out and you see um, kind of a hazy, uh, bent. Uh, um, ground in front of you, right? And and your initial 
reaction the first time you've seen this it almost looks like there might be like water on the road right this classic example of a mirage and so your your initial your initial thought is why why are things like that things shouldn't be looking like that um right and you it, it almost looks like still things are moving right you can kind of see things slowly shifting at least it looks like and so there's something summoning uh, you, or at least your understanding, your reason. Your sight is sort of calling out, and this is all metaphorical, right? So don't don't <laughs> take this in too literal of a sense. But um, to carry on the the um, the metaphor, um, when your vision is calling out to your understanding and saying, "This." shouldn't be like this. There's something more than meets the eye here. Think this through. Investigate this more because something which is still is also moving. So there's this like compresence of opposites. There's this union of opposite things here. Stillness and motion, uh, right? The ground in front of you uh, is still, but it's also um, has the appearance of moving. As you approach it, you realize it's still. As you back up, you realize it's moving, uh, or at least it looks like it's moving. Uh, and so it kind of summons um, a type of um, thought that goes beyond mere sensation. So that's what a summoner is. It's a, um, as, as Socrates puts it, I'll, I'll just read you the passage, uh, 523c. Uh, the ones that do not summon the understanding are all those that do not at the same time result in an opposite sense perception. We'll return to that here in a second. But the ones that do, I call summoners. That is when sense perception does not make one thing any more clear than its opposite, regardless of whether what strikes the senses is close by or far away. What I mean will be clearer if you look at it this way, these we say are three fingers, the smallest, the second, and the middle finger. Okay, so then he, he goes on to this example of the fingers, which we'll talk about here in a second. But a summoner is distinguished from a non-summoner. And what a what a non-summoner is, is something that you just look at, you, you perceive, and you just see it one way. Oh, it just seems it's this way and, and no other way. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of seeing things as black and white, right? And then what a summoner is, is you look at something and it kind of inclines you, the sight or the vision or the, the sense perception inclines you to say both. No, it it does look this way and it also looks the opposite. So it looks like it's this like contradictory or, or there's contraries, you know, occurring at, at one time. Uh, you could think of it this way, you could think of it this way. Um, and it's the, the the perception which which kind of toys or troubles your your um, um, your experience, right? So the example of, of the the fingers is also, I think, a uh, an interesting example. Uh, kind of difficult to to comprehend at, at first, but hopefully as we talk through this, it'll it'll make a little sense. Um, so instead of three fingers, just consider two um, two fingers, right? So. Um, there's a sense in which two fingers are two, um, but each of the fingers is one. Um, what makes them one is that they're separate from each other. If they weren't separate, then they would just be one finger. So the two 
are made too because they're separate. Um, the, um, the two fingers are also, in a sense, one thing. Namely, that one thing that they are is two fingers. Um, so there's a, there's a sense in which the two fingers are both one individually and two jointly. Uh, and so there's, you know, almost like two ways you can think of it. You could think of them as two, you could think of them as one. Uh, and and it, it kind of leads you to think that there's a, there's a complexity. There's something more than meets the eye going on here. Vision alone isn't going to solve this problem. Is, is, is what's there one or is what's there two? Vision isn't going to solve that problem because you can kind of see it in both ways. It's both one and it's two. Um, uh, this is this is the phenomenon that we discussed at the very beginning of the Republic, which I said the Republic ultimately is is a dialogue about, and that's the relationship of parts to wholes or, or the one to the many. Um, and why I think this is significant uh, at this stage of the Republic is because um, this phenomenon of the relationship of parts to wholes or seeing things as many and seeing things as one um, as, as I've already alluded to in the first few um, podcasts in this series, uh, is a phenomenon which is ubiquitous. It's all, it's all over the place, right? The, the relationship of the one to the many parts to the wholes is just all over the place. Is it letters or is it a word that's on the page, right? Is it a word or is it a sentence? You kind of want to say it's all of those things. Um, but words and, and letters are strictly speaking different because you can see letters and not see a word because you're you know not a not a reader maybe you're only like three years old and you know your letters but you don't know words so you can you can like make this distinction between letters and words even though they're in some ways one and the same thing uh, so it's a it's it's a complicated um, thing upon investigation but what Socrates is trying to do, rather than address it and, and, and come up with an answer to, oh, here's how the one's related to the many, what he wants to say is this is like a great gift, this, this perplexity, this, this paradox of the parts and the wholes, the one and the many that we see in reality. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a grace. It's the origin of education um, because it is what, um, sets you off uh, in, in, in motion towards a higher understanding. If you weren't puzzled by things, you wouldn't seek a higher um, uh, uh, vision or a higher understanding, right? So it's, it's, it's puzzlement, it's perplexity, it's knowledge of a type of ignorance that um, constitutes the uh, the life of education, right? And so the the the, the more that you can um, wonder, this is this is another way of describing this in, in um, the the philosophical uh, tradition is is wonder, um, wonder like you you wonder why something's the case. It's sort of a puzzlement or a perplexity that you have about something, which seems obvious but also seems complicated. Um, that is the, the source or the origin of this, this transcendence out of the cave, right? Without that, there would be no um, 
you would not feel the need or the desire to leave the cave. Um, so uh, stated uh, another way, I'll just read a bunch of bunch of passages because I think this is um, uh, a really important, as I mentioned, important concept for understanding um, the Republic and ultimately its relation to to um, the sig- significance for your life uh, and and the the. The, the value of education, unfortunately, the way most people think of education uh, is that it kills this, this wonder. It kills this perplexity. It's saying, if you have to ask questions about something, you're stupid and you shouldn't be in the classroom. It's actually the, the exact opposite. The, the better you are as a student, the more questions you should be asking, the more puzzlement, the more perplexity you should be having about reality. Because the more that you understand, the more... Um, firmer, more solid of a foundation you'll have, not to like master reality, but to question it, right? It's it's hard to know how to ask a question. That's the real challenge. Uh, the challenge isn't finding the answers. The challenge is in figuring out what are the good questions to ask, okay? Um, so uh, here's, here's another passage, which I think is um, states this point, um, uh, beautifully, this is uh, 523e. It is likely then that a perception of that sort would not summon or awaken the understanding. And the perception is when you look at a finger, you just see a finger. It's you, like that it's a finger doesn't kind of perplex you. Um, but he says, but that it's one finger uh, can, or that it's one thing, better, better put, that it's one thing does does kind of perplex you because you see it as one thing but you also see many things there's the fingernail there's the 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 hairs on the the knuckles and all that right so you you see one thing but it also is the case that you see many things in seeing that one thing and so you're 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 already set in motion to um, want to ask some questions um so the notion of seeing something as one is a summoner for, for Socrates because of the fact that it puzzles you um, because that sensation of, of oneness conjoins um, with it manyness, okay, or plurality. Uh, on the next page, uh, and without that, you, 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 would, you would not be an educated person. You would, your soul would be dead or asleep, as he puts it. Um, the, the educated person is someone whose soul is alive because they... They, they experience that and they're like awakened and they want to know more. They want to figure this out. This this shouldn't be. How can it be both one and many? And and that kind of um, is a type of uh, life in the soul, right? And so it's it's the perception of oneness that makes your soul come alive um, and therefore it frees you from from the ignorance that, that you um, may have had. Okay, so a little bit later, 524D, uh, he goes on. That then is what I was trying to express when I said that some things summon thought while others do not. I define summoners, here's an interesting definition of summoners. I define summoners as those that strike the relevant sense at the same time as do their opposites, right? So the, the, the relevant sense sort of sees it both ways. I see this both ways and that, that almost says sense cannot adjudicate between 
is it this way or is it this way or how should I think about the relation between these two things? Sense sort of proves itself um, inadequate and so it automatically awakens something beyond sense, which is reason, to kick in to say, okay, you take over. I can't figure this out. Um, I, I did my best as vision. I can't, I can't see my way through this. Uh, um, the intellect or reason is going to have to to take it over and and see see through how to the best understand this. Okay, so that's um, once again metaphorical way of thinking of the, the 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 faculty of sight talking to the faculty of reason, but that's that's just sort of a childish metaphor, uh, although perhaps useful. Um, okay, so the um, once reason gets kind of online and awoken because of the um, the, the summoner of, of, of sight of the, the oneness in the manyness or the min, manyness in the oneness that you see in the world, um, reason comes on the scene and it, and it starts to, to think through it. Um, and so it then, you know, you could think of your, you're now not merely looking at the world, but you're in a new, a whole new domain, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of, of, of um, conceiving, right? So you're you're now trying to think about, well, how are, how how is one related to many? I'm not worried about particular things like this tree is one tree, but it's many parts. Um, I do want to know just more generically. There's something fishy going on in the relationship of parts to wholes. Let's just think about this in the abstract, the relationship of parts to wholes. So now you've kind of taken a transcendent view or transcendent project on board, um, right? And so you're, you're, you're now almost in a, in a life above or beyond the mere physical world of sensation. Um, and, and so he says the, 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 this, this faculty of, um, or this, endeavor this act of calculation rational thought rational calculation uh as he puts it on uh let's see 525 d e somewhere on there he says it gives the soul a stronger lead upwards and it compels it to discuss uh the numbers in in, in sort of more in the 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 um abstract um uh, uh natures the, the 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 relation of one to many as such um and so you find yourself thinking about things in a, in, a, in a completely different way now, or at least wanting to think about things in a completely different way. Even if you haven't figured it out, the fact that you want to already means that you've made this, this um, ascent um, beyond mere sensation. Um, and so this is, this is uh, compar comparable to um, geometry. And so this is a, a metaphor um, that may only kind of move, I don't know, one out of every 5,000 people because you know, there's not a whole lot of people out there that, you know, get get really, you know, giddy about geometry. But the idea I think he has in mind uh, is in geometry, you can study two-dimensional um, uh, uh, geometric figures, right? You can you can just on a, on a plane, right? You have a a square and you have lines and you talk about intersecting this and the angles are equal to this and that. And so you can go through all of this and think through the relationship of all these geometric figures within the world of two-dimensional 
geometry. That is just like on a, on a piece of paper. But once you start thinking about geometry three-dimensionally, all of that, it's not like it's out of the window, but all of it gets um, transfigured and transformed. And, and, and you realize that's only, that's only one story at a lower level of geometry. There's a whole world of geometry that two dimensions uh, can't even conceive of or fathom. Uh, and so when you get to, as he, as he says, uh, 528b, after a plane surface, we went immediately to a solid that was revolving without taking one just by itself. But the right way is to take up the third dimension after the second. Okay, so, so you, you spend your life thinking about squares uh, and, and, and circles. And then all of a sudden someone says, you know, you're only, you're only thinking about just a fraction of all the geometric figures out there. And you're like, what, what in the world are you talking about? I've got squares and I've got triangles and I've got circles. What else is there? And someone says, cubes. They're cubes. And, and someone's like, I don't understand what a cube is. Draw it for me on this piece of paper. And you say, well, I really can't because cubes don't fit on a piece of paper. They're three-dimensional. They're not two-dimensional. And if the person is like, uh... Unless you put it on this piece of paper, I'm not going to understand how this is a geometric figure. The, 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 the answer isn't to try to put a cube on a piece of paper, because that's impossible. But the answer is to try to get them to see that their conception of geometry is too narrow. They've got to like come to, to question or to be perplexed by the, the limitations of two-dimensional geometry. Um, and so if they do that, then they can say, what, maybe there's a whole different way of thinking of geometry, which, which has to go beyond two dimensions. Um, and so then once you do that, it's open to say, maybe there's geometric figures that can't be just put on a piece of paper. Uh, now some of you might be saying, but you can draw a cube on a piece of paper. Well, you don't really draw a cube. You just draw like an image, uh, a two dimensional image, which represents a three dimensional object. Right. There's no way you can draw on a on a piece of paper a a, um, a three-dimensional object. It's just a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional object. Um, okay, hopefully that's not too nerdy for you. But the idea is um, the 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 way that you go from thinking of things in a two-dimensional manner to a three-dimensional manner is a type of transcendence that comes through a type of summoning. Of, of this recognition of um, not being settled or, or, or having an, an unease with the limitations of the two-dimensional. Um, likewise, the movement uh, more broadly construed in, in education from the physical to the intelligible, ultimately to the good, it's an analogous type of ascent. It's just you have to learn to look at the world in a different way. Um, the an example of this, I don't know, this may make sense to, to some of you, but the example of this is, you know, you hear people say that everything is, is, a, is a creation of God and therefore everything is, is good um, and everything is an image of, of God um, in virtue of being an effect. Um, effects always resemble their cause and so there's something God-like about everything that exists. Now, what would it be to really look at the world and really see that everything is an image of God? Even the things that you 
don't like, you know, crying babies in the middle of the night, uh, having to change their diapers, um, having a broken toe, um, missing your airline flight to go home for Christmas, um, storms that rain out, you know, the, um, uh, the Tim McGraw concert that you were wanting to go to or whatever it is. Um, uh, what would it be to see all of those events, all of those happenings <clears throat> as um, manifest, <coughs> excuse me, as manifestations of God's um, goodness, of, of God himself, to see those as, um, you know, uh, revelations of, of, of the good. It would require a, a different view on the world, a different vision that, that many of us just don't have um a lot of us want to have it but it's 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 having it and wanting to have it are different um if you are actually going to have that vision of the world it might require that you have to prepare yourself for it which means you have to learn to let certain things go uh and this i think is what lies at the root of the um the notion of abandonment to divine providence which which is an act of humility. Um, <laughs> it's a way of coming to this recognition that um, there's an order which my actions are trying to align to rather than I'm trying to make the order what it, what it, um, what it is. Uh, and so once you can, can, can kind of prepare yourself um, in the right way, then you are become capable of seeing the world in the right way. Um, and that's analogous to the, what, what Socrates says about, um, in order for you to turn your head, your whole body has to be, um, has to be turned, uh, towards this. And he says this at the very end of the allegory, the cave, it's worth going back to look at this. Um, this is, I, I think, I believe I read it in the last podcast, 518, um, between C and D. Uh, it's right around here. Just as an eye cannot be turned around from darkness to light except by turning the whole body, so this instrument must be turned around by what comes to be together with the whole soul until it is able to bear to look at what is and at the brighter at the brightest thing that is, the one we call the good. Okay, so the, the, just as to turn um, the eye, the whole, the whole body, um, needs to be turned uh, to, to turn your soul towards the good um, the whole of you uh, needs to be needs to be ordered and turned towards that um, another way of putting it is um, you can't serve two masters there's no way you'll have this vision on on the world to see everything as a participation in the good um, if you serve two masters that is if you live a split life um, your your eyes won't be able to look at at, at reality, if your body, uh, metaphorically, or the passions, um, is is wedded to, to something else, um, and so I think uh, this is this is a um, a very practical um, point. It's it's basically saying that the at the root of, um, of 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 ethics is a type of um, metaphysics that that you have to you have to learn to order order your whole uh, existence towards um, this way of seeing 
if you're going to actually see that way. Um, and so it's not just one part of you that gets educated, but it's the whole of you. And therefore, the whole of you is, is free rather than just one part of you is free. Um, a real beautiful uh, uh, you know, way of thinking, thinking this through. Um, and so the, uh, um, yeah, the cave, I think, can, can ultimately be seen as this, this transcendence to see the good as it is, which would then allow you in this world, uh, and by this world, I don't mean like God's world is, you know, outside of Mars and this is Earth and it's this world. What I mean is just as you could talk about the world of letters and the world of words as two different worlds that kind of um, coexist, I would say um, something similar about uh, the world of the good and the world of, of, um, of matter. It's not like there's this other spatially separated world. It's more about seeing differently. Um, but once you learn to see the good as such, um, looking at the physical world is going to um, enliven it and enrich it and make it um, make it seen as good. You can, as you go back into the cave, even though it's going to be dark, it'll be such that you can see um, see it all as imperfect, but orienting towards what is perfect. Um, so it, it kind of gives it a value in ordering, um, you know, signifying uh, something uh, more than it. There's this part in, um, I believe it's uh, Augustine's Confessions when he talks about, um, it's this, this sort of contemplative experience that he has where he um, sees everything and he sees them as like these little, these little, speakers, um, not like, like audio speakers, but like, you know, looking at the trees and the birds and the fish and the sunrise and the mountains, it all is, is screaming out, shouting. This is like a Psalm. It's saying, um, I am not he, but he is who made me. That's what all of creation is saying uh, for St. Augustine. And I think what Plato would say is that's what physical world is saying about the good. I am not the good, but I I order you towards the good. That's how I am good, is that I direct you um, towards what is higher.